Last week we talked about, I guess, two basic topics. One was sort of a history of Shimon Esther, maybe that was two weeks ago. Last week we spoke about um, Rina Zotfila, Tfila Zobakasha, that Rina, that re- rejoicing, singing in, singing in the joy of, of salvation, is Tfila, which is Bakasha. Um, and we also spoke about the 18s, this really surprisingly long list of 18s, all of which seem to be the foundation for having 18 brachos in Shemona Esrei. And sort of interjected within that became clear that each of the 18s has a 19th one way or another. Um, either it has a 19th naturally, or in a few cases it had a 19th added like the parak of Tehillim divided so that there would be 19 brachim instead of 18, which is really very awesome, and what the thinking was behind why divide it there. Mm-hmm. And even the idea that you would divide a parak like that, really very, very interesting. Okay, so we actually did speak a little bit about the number 18 back in Baruch Sha'amar, because we were talking about Baruch Ha'olamim and the description of God... Um, as a source of life for the world. In Shemona Esri, it was Yochid Cheha Olamim. He's unique and only and fully united, integrated. Cheha Olamim, source of life for all universe and all worlds. Um, here's how Rav Schwab puts it over here. He says the significance of the number 18 in Tefillah, and I think this is where we ended last time, I think we actually did say this, is, and he, he points specifically to the Medrash Tanhuma in Vayera, which is, Keneged Shmona Esrei Chul Yosheba Shidra, the 18 uh, vertebra of the spine, meaning of all the, the possible places of, of the 18, um, he says this one is really the core. This is kind of the main reason and everything else is associated with that because that at the time when a person davens and bows down he must bow down to the extent that all the joints in the spine are opened in accordance with the verse kol all of my bones will say, Hashem, who is like you. So <clears throat> I think it's, it's probably in line um, with where we started this whole series of Shiorim, just something like 107 classes ago, <laughs> where we spoke about the purpose of humanity and how humanity is different from any other living creatures in the world, which is the ability to speak and in particular, the ability to use speech as the tool for what the job is. Meaning, we've spoken many times about how one way to know what our tafkit is, is to look at what are the tools we've been given to use for the job. If we look at the tools the boss gave us to do the job, that should give us clues as to what he wanted us to do. And as people, we've been given the ability to speak, then what that tells us is that our tafkit is, as Rashi says, Deyavadibor, or Torah and Tefillah. So it's learning Torah and it's davening. These are actually the two critical jobs of humanity in the world. It all kind of boils down to that. Yes, it branches out. There's a lot of subunits 
that can comprise Torah and Tefillah. And there are a lot of different angles and aspects and ways that we live in our lives and mitzvot that we do, all of which interact and, and form that Torah and Tefillah. But ultimately, you could distill it down to that summary, which is, all of my bones are singing or saying, Hashem, there's none like you. That is kind of distilling down the purpose of, of people and of each of us. And we each have a different way that in our lives we perform that. But ultimately, each of us is here in order that our very essence, our very being, our very life is singing a song of praise to Hashem. Just like all the animals that we learned about and all the things in creation and the parakshira, each thing just by being what it was created to be is singing a song, a shira to Hashem and declaring that he is the creator with people as well. And specifically, when a person bows down, when we bow down in Shemona Esrei, and I believe that that's particularly talking about modim, when it says bowing down, even though there are other places where we bow in Shemona Esrei, the, the one where you bow until all of the, all the bones separate, that's, I think, particularly modim. Um, when we do that, we're really fulfilling our role as a person, very completely, saying, Hashem, there's none like you. So based on this, that was my little bit of sticking on to Rav Schwab, other things we've already spoken about. In this way, all of one's bones are involved in the tefillah. And of course, bones, atzamos, is the same word as etzem, like the very essence, the very inner part of somebody is their etzem. It's the source of the blood. Based on all this, all of the aforementioned instances where the number 18 is cited as the source for the hakdama l'shmon esri brachos, there's all these other 18s that, that are the source for making 18 brachos. All of those are then based on the fact that the fundamental structure or framework of a human being is 18. So really, you could look at all of those other sources and say, you know, there are 18 commands in building the Mishkan, or there are 18 verses of Yehi Chavod, or 18 mentions of God's name in... in um, all of those, you could say, well, why are there 18? And the answer would be, according to Rav Schwab, which is like a very awesome way of thinking about it, according to Rav Schwab, you could answer any of those by saying, there are 18 mentions of God's name in Shema, 18 mentions of God's name in Havulashem, 18 verses in Az Yashir, eight, right? Well, or no, was it 18 verses in Az Yashir, or 18 mentions of God's name in Az Yashir, 18 commands of the Mishkan, 18 prakim of Tehillim, Toyan Hashem Biyom Tzara. All of those, the reason is because a person, at the core, the structure is 18. Everything else is attached on to this core. There's probably a word for it, and I can't think of what it would be in English, but there's probably um, like a structural word, I would think, in architecture, that would be that sort of core pillar upon which everything else like on a suspension bridge, you know, you'll have the, you'll have this suspension pillar sort of rooted into the earth, and then everything is really hanging from there. That's kind of what our spine is. It's the, it's that upon which the rest of the body is, is suspended. And this is why, we, we bow in our Shmona Esrei. We bow. He says he he involves it with the other bowings as well. Although, I, as I said, I've seen elsewhere that in particular it's referring to the Modim. Um, 
which also makes sense because that's we acknowledge you, Hashem. So that's Hashem Ichavocha. Um, you may have noticed that we got a new washing machine and it's much quieter than the old one used to be, but it also plays a little cheery tune when it's finished. <laughs> um, that we bow down and we get our whole body involved in our davening. The bowing down allows us to put our whole body into the tefillah with us. So we're recruiting our body into it, even though, and the one sense we've bound our body up during tefillah so that it's not doing anything. But at the moments when we bow, the whole body gets, gets involved. Um, there was a rough pinkus. I didn't put it in this place, so I may have trouble tracking it down. Rough pinkus in particular says that the number 18 oh, here we go unbelievable with regard to the number 18 and the bones in the spine he says the spine is not just the structural support okay we know that the that the spine is also is also the 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 main communication it the main it is the communication from the brain to the rest of the body right the entire spinal cord is running between those bones in the spine which means that if we're talking about the 18 um if we're talking about the 18 bones in the in the spine as being the core of the human and the core of human activity and the core of the tefillah and the core of everything that is in some way comparable to tefillah, then we have to recognize that we're also speaking about the connection between our body and our mind. That when we're talking about spine, we're talking about the connection between body and mind and that that is what supports the body. Very interesting insight. That is what gives the body its upright posture. When we say the bracha in the morning, zokev kefufim, thank you that we stand upright. Part of that is we stand upright and our head is over our body in standing upright. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that not only physically, but we're grateful for what that represents, that our heads as human beings, we have free will, we have the ability to think into things and let our brain be over our body and rule the body. So this, this aspect of spine and the way the spine is constructed, particularly in people, allows for that, and that's its purpose. So he says, in any place where we find an expression of 18, it is coming to express a connection between the mind, which he says means the effort to grasp and relate to Hashem, and the body, meaning the physical world. So the spine means trying to span to, to seek to draw close to God, to communicate with him, to relate to him, and to bring that so that it influences the physical world. Mm -hmm. And so in each of those cases, if we want to look back and say we have the Mishkan and we have 
the covet Yehi chavod Hashem le'olam, the covet of Hashem feeling the world, um, being felt in the world, and the azyashir, the recognition of Hashem's covet in the world. That anywhere we see the number eighteen, what we're seeing is a concept of using the intellect to strive to draw closer to Hashem and to have that influence and flow down and inform the actions of the body and the body of the world, the world as a whole, which on the one hand is very deeply profound way of putting it, and on the other hand, once he has said it, seems like such a natural corollary of everything we've seen so far, which is always a good sign <laughs> when it's both. Yeah, the only thing is I was translating it out of Hebrew, so it may not come out exactly the same. Okay, he says, so whenever we see an expression of 18, it is coming to express the connection between the mind and, so to speak, seeking to understand or relate to Hashem and the body, the creation as a whole, and to give to creation, to the physical world, upright stature. In other words, for, that connect, for the mind to be able to connect reaching towards God and having that effect and um, have implications in the physical world. And he points out that connection to have implications and impact on the physical world, okay. which if you remember back to the very, 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 very beginnings of Davening Share, we talked about moving through these four levels of world, mm -hmm. walking into the Holy of Holies, into the Kodesh HaKodeshim of the Beis HaMikdash, and then walking back out. That something's supposed to happen here in the Holy of Holies, which is Shemona Esrei, that has an effect so that when we walk back out, something is not exactly the same. There's some kind of influence on our day and on our world as we come back out. And so this is so perfectly aligned with that, with everything we've really seen from day one, that it's, it's both clear and amazing and obvious and stunning and surprising all in one. And he points out, that the connection, being connected to the mind is what gives all the other limbs and organs of the body their life. Okay, so even though the halachic, this get, get a little bit like harsh over here, but even though the halachic definition of death is that a person's heart is not beating, right? Brain death is a very touchy subject. I think we had, didn't uh, Rabbi, Jaco Rabbi Dr. Jacobowitz spoke on that, Panina's father, right? How difficult it is to understand what, at what point brain death would be an acceptable definition of death because usually they're allowing for a certain amount of brain activity. So at what point have you, know, have you decided as a doctor that this amount of activity doesn't count, right? But despite the fact that the definition of death halachically is the heart beating and possibly an interaction with breathing, um, if someone's head is fully severed from their body, God forbid, then we assume they're dead. We call that dead. I mean, that's, that's the basis for halakhically considering at what point brain death, I mean, because it's clear that that would be, right, and you didn't check their heart, right? There is, um, Rabbi Orlovsky tells this story, he says, uh, 
uh, of a person, a court, a court case, and the the prosecuting attorney is trying to go all out, all guns, and he's grilling the witness, and he says, but you admit that before you declared him dead, you did not check his pulse. He says no, and you didn't perform any further, you know, functional examinations. He says, I did not. He says, so on what basis did you declare him dead? He said, his brain is in a jar on my desk. <laughs> right? Like, in the end, <laughs> he actually goes on, of course, being Rabbi Orlovsky, he says, and how do you know that means he's dead? He said, well, because with the exception of some people, usually if they don't have a brain, they're not alive. You know? <laughs> So, you know, but <laughs> sorry to have, like diffused all the inspiration from Ruth Pincus's insight here, but <clears throat> that the the connection to the mind in the end is really what infuses life into the world. That this is this is the the two way flow here of reaching up towards functioning and recruiting the mind, but then having that serve as the passage for both recognizing Hashem and also allowing that to affect ourselves, our bodies, our world, and be the source of life for that. Okay. Um, the Chachamim tell us, and we will, we will come back around a little bit to just overviewing these in a more systematic way about halachos, the principles of the halachos regarding Shemun right? but Chazal say in Brachos, Daf Yud Amud Beis, Hamispalat Sarach Sheichavines Raglav, and we did mention this before Yom Kippur, as I recall, when we did all these little bits out of order. One who davens, meaning Shemun Esrei, needs to align his feet, as it says, Veraglayim Ragel Yeshara, as the pasuk says in Yechezkel. Only Yechezkel would know or say this. The Malachim have their legs is one leg or one straight foot. It's like a typical, you know. It's just say like typical Yechezkel, but typical Yechezkel. This is back to Rabbi Schwab. Okay. I mean, that quote, Rabbi Schwab brings it, but it's a Gemara in Brachos based on a Pasuk in Yechezkel. So Rav Hirsch explains so, what's the concept? Because we're clearly, first of all, Malachim are not physical entities. They're spiritual entities, so what's the point of saying that they have one straight foot? And how much detail do you want to go into trying to figure out what one straight foot is when they don't really mostly have feet? I mean, they could appear in this world in a physicalized form, and then you would see them, apparently, according to Avraham, looking like people mm -hmm. in some way. But essentially, like, what's the kind of, yeah, not, were they hopping? It doesn't say anything in the Torah that they were, like, hopping along on one foot. So what's, what are we supposed to get from the one foot? So Rav Hirsch says, unlike people, they don't have freedom of choice. They have one regal. Regal is related also to hergal, that which, that which you are accustomed to do. So they only have one. In other words, they're totally focused. They do what they were created to do by Hashem. And it doesn't say this here, but we know from Rashi and elsewhere, a malach does one task at a time, one objective at a time, right? It's a, it's a single focus. There aren't two different legs. There's no alternation. There's no concept that I'm, I'm multitasking or doing two different kinds of step to achieve a single goal. It's one kind of step, one kind of goal, one kind of path to go on. There's no right or left. Back to Rav Schwab, Rav Schwab quoting Rav Hirsch, human beings have the freedom of right and left. That is a, a two-footed function. He also, well, I didn't, never mind. 
So when we stand before Hashem and put our feet together as one to emulate the Malachim, we're saying at this moment, we're giving up our free will, which is something we already worked on just now in Shema, just now, like six months ago or whatever, or no, it was probably two years ago when we talked about the part about giving up free will, that we're giving up our will and offering ourselves up as a korban to Hashem. So we are reenacting the Akedah, which is something we talked about on Shabbos. I will just quickly, I did, I did bring that quote again just to get it into the davening shir part, even though we, we ourselves just saw that in Parshas Vayera, which is not so long ago. Um, that we become the korban ourselves. Mommy, good morning. It really is chilly in here. Thank you so much. Um, do you mind bringing the, the mask? The, yeah. Oh, it's there. Okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Now, we do, we said, we, when we bow, we recruit our whole body towards Hashem. And that's really like falling down before Hashem, as if our body has no strength of its own. We don't bow down all the way now, because since a lot of other people started doing that, it started to look like it could be misinterpreted. So we very, very rarely do that at this stage, although we will come back to it. When we say the name of Hashem, so when we bow, which we'll get to a little more deeply, but um, bowing, when we say the word Baruch, we bend our knees. And the word for knee is Berech, right? So it's easy to remember. When we say Ato, you, we bend at the waist. We bow down before being in the presence of Hashem. We can't possibly stand in God's presence. But then when we say the name of Hashem, Adoshem, we stand back up again. Because it is, it is Hashem Zokev Kifufim. Hashem straightens the bent. It is the godliness that we are aware of and the godliness that is within us that gives us the upright stature, which is kind of what we were just talking about in terms of bracketing the Shemona Esrei with bows where the 18-ness is the, uh, the recognition and the opening that channel of the spiritual and recognizing Hashem as the only source of all life into the world and recognizing that flow and letting that both overwhelm us but also raise us up. Um, however, even though we've sort of bound ourselves and turned ourselves into an Akedah, Hashem still wants us to be alive. He wants us to live according to His Word. So by living our lives here in the world in accordance with God's will and dedicating our lives to Him and longing for Hashem, our lives have in effect become a living korban to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and interweaving these Shemona Esres into the day in the same way that we need to eat and feed our bodies in the day. We need to feed our souls and our bodies, as it turns out, with the Shona Esther through the day. So in doing that, we transform. By preparing ourselves as Karbanos, we turn our lives into living Karbanos. So I will, I'm not going to spend time, I don't plan to spend time, on this Rav Hirsch, but I do want to bring it in. This is Rav Hirsch in Parshas Vayera. Of Bez, his commentary on Psukim Yud Gimel through Tezayin, where he, he does talk about this concept 
that just as Yitzchak had been ready to sacrifice himself on the altar of God and had risen up to life from the altar of God, so is the same feeling and the same cheerful readiness for sacrifice to be the vow expressed in offerings by him and his children and fulfilled in life. Isaac's life and the life of his children are to form an eternal akedah. Moving, skipping forward. In the midnight of life, with the sun far beneath us, around us all darkness, and still to be able to say, even if we cannot see Hashem Yireh, because that's what Avraham named the place. He named this place of Yerushalayim, the specific exact location where he brought Yitzchak to be a korban and where Yitzchak brought himself to be a korban, which is often overlooked (laughs) somehow, Um, and where the Holy of Holies will stand. In other words, where the korban is, is where the Kodesh HaKadoshim is, is where Ashmona Esrei is, is called Hashem Yireh. Hashem sees, even if we cannot see. To stand Safona in the midnights of life, Lifne Hashem, before God. To say, God has insight, He can see for us. I've, even if I am not able to have insight into the insight of God, neither His law nor His manner of ruling need to justify themselves before the tribune of my understanding. Whatever the conditions may be here below, Hashem Yir Eh. And again, this concept of merging my will with God's will in my Shemona Esrei, this effort to to where possible broaden my view to see things in as godly a way as possible as I am able and at the same time to be accepting on myself that of course I can't see it from God's point of view but that's what I wish for nonetheless my will is that it should be his will because his view is so much greater than my own and my trust in him is so complete by the name Hashem Yireh Avraham bequeathed the Hora'ah the teaching (laughs) which Moriah, the mountain, is to bring to his descendants by the remembrance of this event, Hashem Yireh, God sees. Even when we and where we do not see, God sees. Freely and willingly, we subordinate our own judgment to his. This is the general meaning of Moriah. Skipping again. Everybody who henceforth appears on Moriah with his olas re'iyah, which is the korban, attaches himself to the Ola which Avraham brought in place of his son, and vows to do his part of the Akeda task which his ancestor undertook for his son and his descendants on that spot, and in accomplishing it himself had pilgrimed up to the heights of Moriah as an example for all time. Hmm. Skipping ahead again. That is the zechus of this Akeda. By it, the spirit of the highest moral perfection was sunk so deeply into Isaac and shines forth so brightly as an example that by both by the inherited natural disposition and by the glorious example, the descendants of Isaac can never be entirely lost, but even through bypaths of the deepest aberrations will finally work their way up to the loftiest heights of their calling. You remember the, the Gemara of, in the end, it's Yitzchak's example of the Akedah which will save us from even being entrapped in a situation of our sin that doesn't seem like there's any way out from. Right? Hashem says to Avraham, your children have sinned. And Avraham says, you may have to kill them all, Kiddush Hashem. Meaning there is literally no way out. And Hashem says to Yaakov, your children have sinned. And Yaakov says, 
you may have to wipe them out, Al Kiddush Hashem. There's, they wouldn't have said that if there was an alternative, right? And Hashem says to Yitzchak, your sons have sinned, your children have sinned. And he says, my sons? Aren't they your children? And furthermore, they, they live only 70 years each. And of that, the first 20, they're not fully responsible and able to make their decisions properly. It's interesting. So the key is being mature enough to be able to make a decision, to choose, back to the free will again, right? And of that, at least half the time is spent in sleeping, eating, going to the bathroom, things that, you know, anyway, like it's not really right or wrong, it's just maintenance. So that's not so much. Surely that much you can bear. And if you can't, I will. He says, I'll share it with you, God. And if not, I'll take it. Because I gave up my whole life to you at the Akedah. And then when we come and the Jewish people say to Yitzchak, you are really our father, he turns his eyes up to Hashem and we follow his gaze and we say Hashem is our father. The descendants of Isaac can never be entirely lost but even through bypaths of the deepest aberrations will finally work their way up to the loftiest heights of their calling. Okay. Moving right along, as they say. Vigarsinan by Yerushalmi. It is taught in the Gemara Yerushalmi. I'm now reading from the Abu Darham. In Perak Tvilas HaShachar. Rabbi Chia B'Shem Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Chia taught in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Sarech Adam Lehis Palel, Bamakom Shehume Yuchad Litefila. A person should daven in a place that is special for davening. Um, that doesn't have to be specifically a shul. It's definitely better to daven in a shul or a place. Um, it can also mean a person has a particular place in which they daven. So maybe in your house, you have a place that's the usual place where you daven. Doesn't mean you're not allowed to daven elsewhere because you are, and it happens. But it is best to daven in a place that is set aside for davening. Umataima, what's the reason? Or and I think probably in this case would be more correct to say, what is the basis of that? Bechol hamakom asher azkir es shemi. It's a pasuk in shemos. Which we have seen. Mizbeach Adamotaseli, make for me an earth an earthen Mizbeach, or make yourself an earthen Mizbeach. That's a better English translation because it allows for both direction, both explanations. Vizalvachta alav es olosecha and bring it as a zevach, as a korban, upon it, your ola. You see how reverse why reverse translates it this way, your elevation. And your shlamim, or your perfection. Your sheep, and your cattle, your physicality, and your following. In each and every place in which I, this is God talking, I will have my name be mentioned, Avo Elecha, I shall come to you, Uveirachticha, and I will bless you. That's the Pasuk. So because of this, knowing this Pasuk, you realize that you want to daven in a place that is in the category of Bechol Hamakom Asher Azkir Eshmi, in any place in which 
I call my name, or I, Lazkir is like, in English you say mention, but mention sounds very off the cuff and insignificant. Lazkir is to cause something to be remembered, right? And, and it's by, by speaking, which is interesting because we know that whenever we talk about remembering, any mitzvah that requires remembering, we speak it. So it never occurred to me before. Oops. But um, azkir is an example of a word that means both the remembering and the speaking. And the word speaking, I mean, it means to say it, right? So anywhere where my name will be called, that I will, or that I will call my name, I will come to you and bless you. And even within a place like a shul, it's best for a person to have a specific place in which they daven. Okay. Just... Just to kind of remind us, this concept, every place, it doesn't say every place in which you will mention my name. God says every place in which I will say my name. Then, and Rashi explains, what does it mean, I will come to you, avoelecha? It means I will rest my shechina upon you. From here we can learn, says Rashi, that we can only mention the ineffable name in a place where the Shechina is meant to come to. This is the base Habachira. This is the base Hamikdash. So it's only within the, the base Hamikdash where the ineffable name of God is effable. That... <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that is said in a place where the Shechina will come. Okay, so be, and it seems he's connecting this to the fact that it's Hashem says where I will cause my name to be spoken. In other words, by the f- fact that the Shechina will come there, that's what allows the name to be spoken. Um, it is also intertwined with what we've been speaking about in the nature of tefillah in particular, Shemona Esrei, which is we're saying the words and they're our words and yet they're an expression of Hashem's will at the same time. In every place, Hashem says, in which I cause my name to be spoken. And that's talking about us davening in a shul or in a place that we've set aside to daven in. But where would you hear the sound coming from of God causing his name to be spoken? It's us. It's us who's doing the speaking. He's causing it to be spoken through us. Okay. So I, I want to share, this is now, this is my idea. Um, but I think that it's helpful. We spoke about, from Rav Schwab, he said that the 18, all of the 18s, essentially are based on this framework that is the human body. This framework of 18 that forms the core, the spine that holds together the human body. I wanted to just, um, really to build on that idea also is as helpful in understanding the relationship between that and particularly the Mishkan, but not only the Mishkan, and the common theme between all of these different 18s. It should be like 18 and a half, you know, platform, 18 and three quarters. The Shemona Esrei is an expression of creation in a sense. 
because what we're doing is really asking for all of our needs in life. One of, one of the things, and that's not something we're going to get to today, but one of the, one of the ways the Gemara refers to tefillah is chaye sha'a, temporal life. So it's physical, finite life. Um, and we're also, we're also describing Hashem's ratzon of a perfect world. Everyone is healed. There's a base hamikdash. There's unity. There's peace. There's tshuva. There's wise counsel and guidance. Um, there's blessing in the crops and in the parnasa. Everybody has what they need. Hashem created the world as a dwelling place for the Shekhinah. That's not my idea. This part's not my idea. <laughs> it is a way that he delivers chesed. He, he has created creation, and at least in part, and we don't really understand what that means, it's a way of delivering chesed as an expression of chesed. As human beings, as tselem elokim, we have a job to be metaking the world, to, to cause the world to be a fit abode for the Shekhinah. Really, really, the world should be sort of filled with Shekhinah, perhaps centered at, at the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but it should really fill the world with the sense of God's glory. And our task in the world is to cause the world to be a fit abode for the Shekhinah. Again, this part's not my idea. And this is where I, I feel like in kind of putting together what we've learned, perhaps we could suggest that tefillah is an act of tselem elokim. I don't think that's a stretch at all. That's actually the literal definition of God blew into his nostrils, a living soul, a speaking soul, able to, to daven. And that when we daven, we are a reflection of God to the utmost because that is the ultimate expression. If that's the ultimate expression of Tzalem Elohim is tefillah, then all these pieces fit together so neatly. It's causing ourselves to be a fit abode for the Shekhinah. And in doing so, hopefully then walking back out into the world, causing the world to be a fit place for the Shekhinah, for God's name to be called and for the blessing to come. I feel like on the one hand, I'm saying something new and different. I can't point you to one source for this. On the other hand, it seems to be just a sort of lining up next to each other, the ideas that already have been learned and are not in and of themselves my new ideas. And that the all these different 18s are really expressions of that, of creating a fit environment, an environment suited and worthy for having the Shekhinah rest there and be, and letting God's glory fill the world. That that's kind of that 18 pattern is it's a structure. It's a structure of a human being and everything that will come out from that is patterned after that model. And that model is being a place that is fit for the name of God. So, we had in Shemona Esrei, Yochid Chei Ha'olamim. Chei is, of course, 18. 
and also the source of life for all of the world, and it follows the ten statements of Baruch and the blessing. We have the Prakim of Tehillim leading to Hashem should answer you. Yan Hashem Tzara. Hashem will answer you in your time of trouble. Yishlach Ezra Mikodesh. He will send your help from the holy, from the Beis Hamikdash. That's where the bracha flows from. It will come from there. He will re- he will recall or cause to be recall- spoken all of your minchas, your carbon minchas. Hashem will fulfill all your requests. He will reply from the holy heavens. Hashem will answer us. So in praising Hashem, this is what's described in this Tehillim, is creating an environment, an emotional environment, a human environment, in which Hashem's bracha and Yeshua will flow. Making the human body, that's clear, the kolatz mosai tomarna Hashem michamocha, as Rav Schwab explained it, making our bodies a fit place for Shrina, for the name of God to be spoken. In Havul Hashem is describing the world around us as a place for the glory of Hashem to be manifest. And it's actually in a very strong way. Because it's doubled up. So you have Havul Hashem B'nai Elim, Havul Hashem Kavod Va'oz. First of all, David is calling upon us to bring up praise to Hashem. Havul Hashem kavod shemo, hishtach havul Hashem behadras kodesh. We should be praising Hashem. We should be seeing and recognizing his kavod. How? Kol Hashem al hamayim keil hakavod. Here, the voice of Hashem is on the waters. Hashem's glory is thundering over mighty waters. The voice of Hashem is in the might. The voice of Hashem is in the beauty. The voice of Hashem... It's this call, in every place where Hashem calls his name to be called, this is where he will come and he will bless us. So this, the, so David is saying, so havu Hashem, havu Hashem, give praise to Hashem. Havu is to carry up or to lift up, to give. It's to give a gift. It's the root of the word ahava, really, is giving. Right? Kol Hashem yachil midbar. Kol Hashem yachol ayalos. Hashem ozlamo yitain Hashem yavarechas amo vashalom. We talked about 18 places where the three fathers, I was going to say the four fathers, but it gets confusing, the three forefathers are mentioned in, in, as unit in the Torah. And the avos are described as the merkava, as the chariot, so to speak, for the shechina, meaning the vehicle, chariot's the wrong word in this case, probably we would use the word vehicle, it's that which, that which can bring Shechina to the world. The Avos are described as the Merkava for that. Ein Koren Avos Ela Lishlosha. There are only three that we call Avos. They are Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And the Avos, Hein Hein HaMerkava. They are the vehicle. Building the Mishkan. Kasher Tziva Hashem Es Moshe. It's not just building the Mishkan. It's doing it as Hashem commanded Moshe. So in in building an environment in accordance with Hashem's will. And the result of that will be, Asuli mikdash, they will make for me a mikdash, v'shochanti b'solcham, and the shechina will dwell within them. That this is the, this 18-ness is specifically a creation of an environment 
in which the name of God is worthy to be spoken and is fit environment for the Shekhinah to be, to be sensed. The Askaras in Kriyashma is really creating all of ourselves and then it, it kind of unfolds out into our lives. So it's First, of course, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. This is the calling of the name. But loving Hashem with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and then speaking about this to our children and wrapping it onto our bodies and putting it on the doorposts of our... I mean, creating our from ourselves and then working from there, building an environment in which... It is filled with the declaration of Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. The mentions of Hashem's name in the Song of the Sea, which is the revelation. This is Zekeli Van Vehu pointing and saying, this is Hashem, I will glorify him. Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Va'ed, which is as close to Hashem Melech Olam Va'ed. We had that conversation way back when. But that is the... Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Va'ed is as close as we've gotten so far to being able to say Hashem's presence is felt throughout the world. Right? There was this medrash that said if only they had said Hashem is king forever and ever, then it would have been so then and sensible then. I mean, it's always been true, but it, was not, it has not always been possible to sense it because they said it will be in the future. But that is this concept of, of Zekeli Van Veil being able to point with a finger and say, there's the Shrina. There is godliness in the world. I see it. I can point to it. 18 Psukim in the Ten Commandments. Again, the Ten Commandments is the Asar, the Ten Commandments, which is the creation of the world via Torah. It corresponds to the Ten Statements of Creation of the World. And I think that when we come back to a person should daven in a place that is special for davening. Why? Because the Pasuk says, in a place where my name will be mentioned, I will come and bless you. Or in a place where I will cause my name to be mentioned. So it's creating the space in which it is fit. And this is, this is essentially the um, kind of what's described elsewhere as... Um, I think by Ramchal, the beginning is avoda and hishtadlus, and the end is matana, a gift. We start with the hard work, and in the end it's a gift. Not because the hard work didn't matter. Because it's not our work that can, you know, not being of certain religious persuasions, it's not that we say, well, we will force the Shekhinah to come. We will insist, like, this is not our way, Right? We can't. In the end, it's a gift. It's up to Hashem, not up to us. But that doesn't, it's not because our work isn't important. Our work is the necessary component. Because the way Hashem has, has set up this relationship is He holds back in order to give us space to be able to extend ourselves, to be able to give, to be able to reach out, to be able to act, and to make effort. And so we make this effort. We try and create an environment that is suited. But then when it is, Hashem says, Avo elecha, I will come to you, uveirachticha, and I will bless you. And that is the concept of Chaim, that Hashem is chei ha'olamim, that he gives, he does chesed, he fills in that which is missing. The flow of Shemona Esrei is a filling in of 
of the chaser that I feel on an individual, personal level, and overflowing out into the communal, into my family, into my community, into my city, into my people, into the world. And in fact, I think it's I think it's um, kind of just to cap off this I- this idea that the concept of the structure eight of eighteen is a a building of an environment suited to speak the name of Hashem and to be fit for the Shechina is if we look to the end, right? If we look at the goal where we reach. So when it comes to bakashas, the requests of Shmona Esrei, the last request is Hamachazir Shechina Saletzion, who returns his Shechina to Zion. I think it's a I think it's a legitimate approach. That when when we get to the end of our requests, where do we where do we get to? That the Shechina returns. In other words, that's where we were going all along. That in our requesting itself, what we're doing is building a fit a fit environment for Hashem to come and fill the need. For Hashem to come and fill what is missing. In the beginning, it's our work, in the end it's his gift. This is a um, paraphrasing from Rav Hirsch. The avoda of the animal karbanos in the outer courtyard corresponds to the physical body, that desiring part of the human being. The feeling, the emotion, corresponds to the songs of the Levian. That's a step inward. The thinking corresponds to the avoda of the menorah and the shulchan and the kodesh. The menorah, which is the light, the intellect, the thinking, the spiritual inspiration. And the shulchan, which is the, the work and planning and effort that have to go into sustenance, physical support. And they come together. Menorah right, and the shulchan. That was the shulchan, yeah, the menorah and the shulchan. And the menorah is on, I guess, the left side as you walk in, and the shulchan on the right side. And in the middle, and just ahead of them, so sort of further in, and yet uniting those two flows of thought, is the mizbeach hazahav, where the katoris is brought. It's a higher level korban than the animal korban, which is outside. And that directly faces, that. Um, sorry, and that's, that is the avoda of sort of Mizbeach HaZahav and Katoras, which is really as spiritual as it gets, meaning all there is is a smell. There's no, you don't see something really happening there. And we know smell is like the direct sort of associated with Neshama mm-hmm. because smell was not affected negatively by, um, by what happened in Gan Eden because it's the sense that wasn't used. Mashiach will be able to smell like he's he's supposed to be notable for his ability to smell things out. I'm not sure that it means necessarily like his nose, but the ability to to sense as described as smelling reach michoach. Right, this is always like the highest level, um, and that is directly facing the aron. And if not for the parochas, if you're standing at the mizbeach of Katoris, you're looking at the aron, which is the entry point of Hashem's benevolence, his chesed and his ratzon into the world. So that is, that is the structure. I mean, that is really what we're, 
what we're seeking to accomplish. Um, maybe we can fit one more idea. We have a pattern here of what's sometimes called Isarusa de la Satos and Isarusa de la Ela. Arousal from below versus arousal from above. I mean, who's initiating? Who's catalyzing? Is it us catalyzing from below? Are we taking the first step, saying the first word in the relationship or in the conversation? Or is Hashem the one who's speaking first or acting first and initiating that? And in Shemona Esrei, which is this communication between body and mind, I think there's a little bit of a key in this bowing, this concept of hachna'a. Hachna'a is being able to bend yourself to the will of another. It doesn't mean exactly giving in. It means because it's uh, it's reflexive, meaning it's it's being able to do that, which allows you to maintain your integrity. Right? Sometimes I think that, especially maybe in American society, where there's a lot of emphasis on individuality, and very contrasting to many of the Asian cultures, right, where there's a lot of emphasis on being a, a sort of fitting into the group and the crowd and the crowd. Um, but there's something, there's something where we need to, we have these big wins, right? And we've had a few of them. We had the other day. But mm -hmm. the previous really big wins, so I brought my kids to school, and they have these saplings that are just, you know, four years old or something. So they're still pretty young trees. And because they're young and the trunks are, are still thin, so they're tied to stakes, that, you know, to make sure that they'll grow up and straighten tall. So we came that morning, and one of the trees had been blown over. The stake had snapped near the bottom because of the wind. The tree had bent. Hmm. So they were going to be able to pick the tree. I mean, they did. The tree is up there, and they just got a different piece of wood. Die it to. Right? So the tree in bending then actually maintained who it was. Like we, we sometimes we think that like it's all or nothing. Either we have to stand really straight and not allow anybody to ride over us and push us around, because the alternative is that we'll break, and there'll be nothing left of us. But the truth is, there's such a concept of hachna'a, which is being able to bend with someone else's will, but not bend because you're weak or because you don't have a sense of who you are, but the opposite. You have the flexibility, you have the ability to say, you know what, that's fine, I can bend because I know who I am and I know what my goals are and I know where I'm headed. This isn't going to derail me. This isn't going to break me. It's fine. If it's that important to you, it's no problem. I can step to one side and keep going. You know, doc, uh, Dr. Seuss has got a little story um, within one of the other books. I think it's, I forget which one. It might be Sneetches and other stories about the Zacks, the north-going Zacks and the south-going Zacks who meet in the desert of Prax or something. And the north-going Zach says, get out of my way. I am in a north-going mode. And the south-going Zach says, I shall never take one step to the right or one step to the left. That's how they taught us in south-going school. And I'm sure I'm misquoting here, but it all rhymes, of course, being Dr. Seuss. And uh, they each one refuses to budge. I'm going north, and I'm going to go north, by golly, and I'm going to go south. And so they stand there face-to-face, nose-to-nose, tummy to tummy and of course the world doesn't wait and they build an entire highway around them and under them and over them <laughs> and they don't move 
So how great is that, right? Like, did you get to your goal or did you not get to your goal by saying, I'm going to get to my goal this way? But when you have a confidence that you know what your job is and you know what you're trying to do and you know where your goal is, taking one step to the side is not going to throw you off from getting to your goal. It just might mean you have to take a step this way and an extra step that way that otherwise you wouldn't have taken. Okay, fine. That's that. So, <laughs> right? Like, it's not so bad. It's no big deal. Um, and I think that, that that bowing down is a physical, a physical representation of that bridging between the upper and the lower. There is a kind of a being able to bring our lower world and reach it up to the higher world through our tefillah and also draw the higher world down into our lower world in our bowing. And it's a physical expression of the avoda of tefillah in terms of his will is my will, my will is whatever is his will. Attempting to merge that kind of will then gets physically expressed in bowing down. Bowing down doesn't destroy me. And if you think of what's the ultimate bowing down, would be laying flat out, right? Which we mostly don't do. Does that break me? No, my spine can bend. It puts me in a different plane. I'm horizontal instead of vertical. But if that's what allows me to get back up again, you know, the bow is the Baruch and the Atah and the Hashem. Meaning it's bowing down, but it's also being pulled up. The name of God raises me back up again. So I, it seems to me that in this bow, we have a, a, a physical feeling and a physical action that encapsulates what we're doing in the bracha and what we're doing in the tefillah, which is the hachna of myself and my will to Hashem's self, Hashem's presence and his will and his enon movado, there's none other than him. It's an ultimate, it's, it's a physical expression of two becoming one. My, my being separate and attempting not to be so separate after all and to be one. I think we will stop here for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the breath.